There's been times when you've hated me, and there's been times when you've hit me with trees, and then there's been times when you've been my only friend. And there has to be one moment over the past three years where you thought about us, and you wondered. Okay, maybe, but I don't know. I'm getting ready for a date. With who? Jello shot guy? His name is Phil. Phil is a stepdad name. Hey, what's happening, people? Welcome back to the show. I had some interesting technical difficulties last week towards the end. Some popping going on. Edited it all out in post. I'm not sure what caused it. I'm on a different channel this week. If it happens this week, I'll, I'll take a break. Switch mics or something. I'm editing the show afterward. I hear this popping. And it comes right after I dispel paranormal activity and ghosts. <laughs> Truly bizarre. It's coincidence. That's the kind of stuff that freaks people out. But this, as you know, is my favorite time of year. Halloween, right around the corner. Temperatures have started to break. We're somehow being spared the Santa Ana winds, at least for the moment. It's the time of year when I truly start to appreciate being alive. I love the fall. So my friend Cindy calls me last week. Cindy was Katrina's best friend. The woman knows me inside now like a sister. Every time we talk, Kat comes up in conversation, normally, and almost every time. And I don't know why it happens when I talk to her about it, but I start to get emotional. I guess it's because she was there through all of it. Anyway, she mentions this podcast, All There Is, by Anderson Cooper. And it does a deep dive on living with loss, living through it, accepting it, as an important part of life itself. Because it's true. There are two parts of your life that are the most important and that should be celebrated. Your birth and your death. Is each are equally important. This is why Dia de los Muertos is such an important holiday. People think it's morbid. No, it's a pivotal day and deserves to be celebrated. We're not happy about it, but we're celebrating your life. Anyway, his podcast starts when he has to go through his mother's stuff at her old house. His mom was Gloria Vanderbilt, and he was shocked at the things that she had decided to hold on to, and he wondered why she did. Like, for example, she held on to the dress that she was wearing the day that Anderson's brother committed suicide, and he wondered why she kept it. I've gone through this. You know, it takes a while to go through your stuff. You don't want to get rid of anything right away, but you decide you have to. You have to let it go because it's just stuff. But you tend to hold on to specific things when you lose someone. For me, I kept two of Katrina's favorite books. Books, she said, were her favorite to read. She'd read them a number of times. Catcher in the Rye and To Kill a Mockingbird. 
And I read the books. I think I was looking to find a piece of her in those stories. I never did. But then I thought maybe it's just about going through that journey that she went through reading the book, almost like you're doing it together. Anyway, I've got a couple things I want to talk about, things that I've read and watched lately. I read this report about the new iPhone 14. It's got this fall detection feature. It's a feature that has been in the Apple Watch for a while now. It can detect if you've been in an accident or if you've fallen down. And it asks you if you're okay. And if you don't reply, it will automatically call 911 and will give them your exact location. It's a pretty nifty feature, but there is a problem. People are taking their phones to amusement parks and they're going on rides and the damn thing's calling 911. They said there's been an increased t- uptick in 911 calls to amusement parks around the country. I say, look, better to be safe than sorry. Put your phone on airplane mode if you're going on rides. I don't know why anyone would take their phone on a ride. I also watched this special report from The Economist a couple weekends ago. It was about how the drug cartels have pivoted their business to producing fentanyl. So they sent these reporters down to Sinaloa to interview these guys. And they filmed them making this shit. And these guys were wearing masks, obviously. But what size balls must you have to actually go down there with a film crew and do that? Well, Sinaloa is a very dangerous place. Imagine your editor walks up to you and says, Oh, hey, by the way, you're going to Sinaloa. You're going to be interviewing members of the cartel. I'd be like, fuck that. You go, tough guy. (laughs) That was another great documentary. I I know it sounds like all I do is sit at home, read shit, and watch documentaries. And that would be correct. King George on Flex. Fantastic story. It's about Georges Pierre and his New York restaurant, Le Bec Fon, which was the last true classic French restaurant in New York City. It's a bit sickening to, to watch a bunch of stuffy, rich white people enjoying the high life. But it was truly enjoyable to see the last of the great French chefs running a kitchen like that. Those guys were hardcore. It was fun to see the inner workings of a restaurant like that, but sad to see how tastes had changed. You know, you had new chefs like Ludo and guys like that were starting these pop-ups and they were taking center stage. It was relaxed, casual cuisine. That's what people wanted. Like the old guard had run its course. I love the classics, but that food is expensive to source and it results in high dollar menu prices. Older people are okay with that. But young people had spoken. I think the restaurant closed in 2013. Anyway, getting back to this. Uh, Turns out fentanyl is cheaper to make than heroin and a lot easier. You don't need a huge lab. Just some basic knowledge of chemistry, some powders, alcohol. And you cook it outside in a huge pot like you're brewing beer. They said it's one one hundredth the cost of making heroin. And these base powders come directly from China. So the cartel is doing business directly with China. I watch stuff like this, and I wonder why is this on The Economist? And it's because the drug business is still a business, even though it's illegal. And it's about economics. You know, you've got profit and loss, cost to income ratios, all that shit. Bank reconciliation. Same with the Italian mafia. 
It was business. And those guys were just really clever in how they made money. They suck as human beings, but they're clever. But this has been a long-standing issue with me. I have a real problem with drug addiction in our country because it feeds the corruption that's going on in Mexico, which affects Mexican citizens. You know, I've got a lot of friends with Mexican heritage. They still have family down there. And that government's corrupt. They could give a single shit less about the people. Police turn a blind eye. Government turns a blind eye. They're taking money so the cartels can just do their thing. The worst part is that they terrorize the people that live there to a point where poverty isn't even the worst part about living there. I mean, who wouldn't run from that? Who wouldn't risk everything to escape? If you want to point fingers, remember the number of Jews fleeing Germany in World War II or the influx of Europeans in the early 1900s because things were so bad in their countries. Yeah, and then get back to me on that. Like, it's okay when white people do it. Not so much when they're brown. <laughs> Fucking Kanye on the Jews. That guy has lost his mind. I mean, these cartels, they invent new ways to murder people. They're worse than ISIS. Grabbing babies by their feet. They're savages. Dom Winslow didn't make this shit up. And it's got to stop. Like, I'm not a fan of war. But we've got to have a war against this drug bullshit. That's got to stop, man. I get the Ukraine thing, but we have neighbors to our south that need to be saved. Save that, and you'll kind of save us. And don't call me a racist either. Anyone who's been paying attention for the last 20, 30 years knows that this is true. Mexico and the States, all connected, right? Same with Canada, just that they have a better looking leader. Like, I'm not gay or nothing. God, Trudeau's a good looking bastard. Let me just say this. If you want to argue with me on this point, watch Cartel Land. It's another documentary. Watch it with an open mind, then get back to me on this bullshit. People are fighting for their lives against a corrupt government, the cartel, the police. They all band together to make life hell for Mexicans in Mexico. Keep them down. Hang people. They behead people like ISIS. Literally give them no choice but to try to migrate north. All right, this is getting heavy. I don't like heavy. Let's turn to this. Snakes in someone's underpants. Now, I know I had a couple of really odd stories that involved animals a few weeks ago. Let's turn our attention to this. Man charged with smuggling pythons in his pants at U.S. border. This is in Albany, New York. A New York City man has been charged with smuggling three Burmese pythons in his pants at a U.S.-Canadian border crossing. Calvin Batista. 36, is accused of bringing the hidden snakes on a bus that crossed into northern New York on July 15, 2018. Importation of Burmese pythons is regulated by an international treaty and by federal regulations listing them as injurious to human beings. Batista of Queens was arraigned Tuesday in Albany on the federal smuggling charge and released pending trial, according to a news release from the office of the U.S. Attorney Carla B. Friedman. An email seeking comment was sent to Batista's lawyer. The charge carries the potential for a maximum sentence of 20 years in prison and a fine as high as $250,000, according to federal prosecutors. The Burmese python, one of the world's largest snakes, is considered a vulnerable species in its native Asia and is invasive in Florida, where it threatens native animals. You know this happened to me once. I was going through security 
at Orange County Airport. They've got this full body scanner. I step out, and the woman says, Excuse me, sir, do you have a python in your pants? Why, yes, I do. Thanks for noticing. <laughs> 12 out of 10 marrons. How you doing? People do strange shit, man. Why would you walk around with a life snake in your pants? I mean, how much crack are you smoking? Of all things that I would try to sneak around in my pants, snakes would be like last on my list. Like, do pythons bite? I'm not that familiar with snakes. Surely they've got some teeth, right? Would you want to run the risk of having a snake bite you in the balls if it suddenly felt scared or threatened? Good Lord. People have gone batshit. Another thing on animals. I was talking about fishing last time. Completely forgot to bring this up. Maybe you've already heard the story. Apparently, there's this professional fishing tournament at Lake Erie. And these guys who have been defending champions every year, they get caught when the judges got suspicious of the size of their fish, or actually the, the poundage. Because these fish are the same size as everybody else's. But they weighed like two, three, four pounds more. So they opened the fish. They found weights and additional fillets in the fish. Here's some audio. Joining us now is Steve Hendricks. He is a competitive angler who was part of the competition that day. He was there for that moment. Steve and his teammate, Brian Ulmer, ended up winning Team of the Year honors after those two uh, allegedly cheating fishermen were disqualified. Steve, thank you so much. First off, congratulations. That's a big honor uh, to be Team of the Year. Um, but just tell us about this moment as you witnessed these lead balls being pulled from these fish. What was that like? Oh, it was a crazy weekend. We had, uh, they came up and uh, they had their fish out in the in the tank and they were getting ready to come up and they picked up a fish that should have weighed about four pounds and they set it on the scale and it said eight and then they put the rest of their five in and it came up to 35. So everybody was going nuts as you can see in the video and it was, it was very obvious this time that uh, they weren't going to get away with that. So it's just, it's a shame that that had to happen and uh, I'm just glad that they got caught and been a long time coming so a long time coming you said you've suspected this in previous competitions one of the things we've learned is that there are actually polygraphs in some of the larger competitions and one of these competitors uh failed a polygraph in a previous one which cost them you've suspected this you and others we people had good ideas and and thoughts about it but like anything you know you want to give people the benefit of the doubt but uh some when you fail one and pass one and and there's different things and they blow everybody out of the water by five six seven eight pounds every time and some shady stuff going on like this isn't really huge news or earth shattering by any means and fishing's hardly a sport but this goes to show you just how dishonest people can be these guys they suspected them cheating for years finally got caught the real crime here is that these tournaments pay tens of thousands of dollars in prize money over the years, who knows how many people who legitimately had beaten these guys in previous years were cheated out of their prize money. So they file a police report. These guys could be like facing real jail time. I'd have played you the actual audio of when they actually got caught, but there was so much cursing and bleeping, it was intolerable. But what kind of a desperate dick would do something like this? This goes beyond poaching, which I've always hated to see. Like I was going to do some shore fishing once. And I was walking past the boat launch. There were these game wardens who were parked there. And they were on the radio with some other guys, which I had assumed were like the coastal patrol agents. So they were monitoring a boat that was on the water. And I knew something big was about to go down. So I kind of hung around. Sure enough, the boat comes in. They dock it. 
And the minute they do, these wardens walk up and start talking to them. Sure enough, these guys have two big coolers of fish. A bunch of them are undersized, well over their limit. What's worse, they didn't. these guys didn't even have licenses. I don't know what the fines are, but I suspect it's in the tens of thousands, probably jail time. It was a real scene. By the time it was done, there was an entire crowd <laughs> everywhere. Looky-loos. I don't even think I fished that day. It was just worth it to see that kind of drama. I don't know how Google's algorithm works. Of all the things that came across my YouTube feed the other day, Chris Cuomo's new podcast. I think it's called the Chris Cuomo Project. I had to watch it because I was interested in seeing what a dumpster fire it was going to be. He spent like the first five minutes doing what all YouTubers do, asking you to like and subscribe. He was pimping merch. I mean, he should be ashamed of himself. How the mighty have fallen. This guy was like the prince of CNN. Now he's on YouTube. You remember during the pandemic, he and his brother back and forth about COVID, breaking each other's balls. His brother's the governor of the state of New York. And then these videos emerge of him out in public, you know, going viral. He's bullying people, yelling at people, big loudmouth Italian guy, shitting all over people. Then gets himself in like really hot water. They found out he was using a status at CNN to help his brother behind closed doors. And the sexual abuse scandal eventually brought the governor down. Ended up costing Chris's job, and now he's on YouTube. This is what happens when your head gets bigger than your hat. You end up shitting in it. Hey, I hate to be all over the place today, but I honestly cannot understand what's going on in the NFL right now. I love football, but some of these stupid rules, and I'm not alone in thinking this, it's ruining the sport. A few weekends ago, we had roughing the passer call, right? There were a few of them. They were clearly not roughing the passer. The first one was a tackle on Tom Brady. The second one was on Derek Carr. Like in past years, past seasons, excuse me, these were clearly sacks. But now, and excuse me here, it's a league filled with pussies. We should just have people wearing flags, all right? Call it a day. Call it the NFFL, National Flag Football League. You can't tackle low because it's dangerous to people's knees. Can't tackle high. That's considered spearing now, you know, concussions. And apparently, now you can't wrap your arms around a quarterback, throw him to the ground like you always have been able to. You can't land on him with your body because you're using your full body weight because defensive linemen are big dudes. All these calls gave an advantage to the other team, which led to points on the board. In the case of the Buccaneers, they got that 15-yard penalty. They got to hold on to the ball, run out the clock. That shitty roughing the passer call cost the other team the game. I mean, soccer infractions are kind of ridiculous to me. The rules in that sport are so finicky, it's a wonder anyone gets a chance to score half the time. I mean, I don't want to see people get hurt. But both of these quarterbacks got up, continued playing. It's football. You know it's violent. But wait, that's not all of it. That same weekend, Monday Night Football, the Raiders lose to the Chiefs, all right? Devontae Adams is on the Raiders. They had lost the game. He's walking off the field toward the tunnel, all right? The sound guy gets in front of him. I can't remember if he gets in front of him or something, but Adams pushes the guy to the ground, knocks him backwards. The guy hits his head on the ground. It was a pretty decent push. I mean, he hits him good. So the guy ends up going to the hospital. 
files a police report. Now Devontae Adams is being charged with assault. I mean, this game just gets crazier and crazier. Adams was wrong. He admits that. He shouldn't have done it. But when players are exiting the field, especially if they've lost, they're headed toward the tunnel, it should be cleared of everybody. The guy should not have been there. It doesn't change the fact that what Adams did was wrong. But here's the problem. Adams signed a $100 million contract. So you know the guy who got pushed is going to sue him for a good chunk of change because people are litigious. That's the society that we live in now. Adams should know that. In the heat of the moment, you do what you do. And you know, I do not apologize for my affinity for hip-hop and certain styles of rap music. I like it. You know, I, I, I can't sing some of the songs while I'm listening to them because the ridiculous number of times they use the N-word in it, which I still don't get, but it's because I'm not expected to. <laughs> I totally understand that. But the looks that I get from people in their cars when they hear some of the shit that I'm playing is comical. I'm a very white man in a black car listening to black music. I have a knack for cranking certain songs that I love when they come on. And even with my windows up, the bass still finds its way to other cars around me. And then I notice I'm getting weird looks. I turn it all down. I should get in the habit of turning it down whenever I come to a light, but I don't. And the reason I only bring this up is because a friend and I, in a twosome, a few weeks ago at the golf course, we get paired up with these two other guys on the second hole. We catch up to them. They asked if we'd like to join them. They seemed like friendly guys. But I said, all right, whatever. They had a speaker on their golf cart. And they were playing some hardcore, like, 90s gangster rap. And they said, hope you don't mind some music. Well, I love that music. We don't normally play music when we're golfing. We're kind of old school. But it's become a trend lately for people to want to play music when they're golfing. I'll tell you what. I'm not sure if it was the music or just the casual nature of that day. But I had one of the best rounds of golf in my life. I was completely relaxed. I think they switched to rock after a while. It doesn't bother me. But we just had a great day with two strangers. My friend got the dude's number. So if they were ever, you know, hook up with another twosome again, you now we could play with them. So you see, hip-hop can unite people. It does quite often. And I've seen these deaf translators at hip-hop concerts. And people ask, why would a deaf person go to a concert? It's because music, especially that music, is bass-heavy. And even if you can't hear, you can feel the beat and the energy and it just it makes you feel good. You know, that's like asking, why would a person with no hands watch porn? Actually, I don't know the answer to that one. <laughs> Some hot, hot sauce controversy here. Texas Pete Hot Sauce is facing a class action lawsuit because it is not made in Texas. Texas Pete's parent company, T.W. Garner Foods, is based here in North Carolina, in Winston-Salem. The lawsuit filed by a man in California alleges false advertising. In the suit, the plaintiff claims he would not have purchased the sauce or paid as much as he did for it if he knew its origin. The plaintiffs are requesting the court to force T.W. Garner Food Company to pay for damages and change the company's name and branding. The Texas Pete website explains where and why the hot sauce is made in North Carolina. Are you fucking kidding me? You see what I was saying about people being litigious? I mean, what an asshole. And what damages? Hot sauce costs, what, eight bucks? You're going to try to sue a company for eight dollars? Maybe it damages asshole because it was so hot. 
you know what? How about you just read the label before you buy something? Maybe the guy calls himself Texas Pete because he's originally from Texas. What a wanker. I once got Dave's Insanity sauce in my eye. I thought I was going to go blind. Did suing the company come to my mind? No. (laughs) The idea of never telling anybody about it, that I could be that stupid, that that definitely came to my mind. This country is filled with so much foolishness. I'm ashamed. Like that dumb bitch who spilled coffee from McDonald's all over herself and then sued them and won because the coffee was too hot. They had to start putting warning hot coffee on the, on, the, on the cup. Listen, if you're stupid enough to buy coffee from McDonald's, that's on you. I'm all over the place here. On the subject of people not being culpable, in both of my relationships, my, my partners had health problems, and we'd be seeing a doctor or a specialist one after another. In both situations, the doctors would say, I've never seen this before, or no one has reacted to this medication like this before. No one wants to hear those words when they're not feeling well. No one wants to be considered a medical anomaly, right? It's happening with both of my friends now from the camping trip. Things still aren't right with them. And they've had doctors that can't figure it out. Cat scans, dog scans, MRIs, medications, blood work, you name it, can't figure it out. And this has to be widespread, right? Now I've given you four I'm sure it's happening everywhere. I would get frustrated to a point. I'd take the doctor aside and say, look, I know you're a good doctor. You've got what it takes. How can this be such a mystery? You want to hear the response I got from the oncologist? That's why we call it practicing medicine. Great. So you're practicing on my wife who's been sick now for six months from this shit. I know their job is hard. I know there's a lot of variables with that stuff, but holy crap, it's expensive enough. The insurance companies pay out the ass for all this stuff, and they get nowhere. Aren't we leading the world in medicine, and this is the kind of shit that goes down? I've got another good one. Man, I really am all over the place here. <laughs> Listen to this. This is from Fox Business with Nick Cavuto. I saw this on Twitter. I mean, admittedly, you want to know how bad inflation is? Yesterday, yes, I had a nice lunch at Taco Bell. Cost me about $28 at Taco Bell for lunch. People need to pay for those things, and they do that by getting jobs and getting in the economy and getting active and getting involved. Wait a minute. You spent $28 at Taco Bell for just yourself? (laughs) For lunch, yeah. It's it's true. Okay. That's That's a lot of chalupas. That's an inflation story. That is. He's a thing. You're both thin, fit guy. I can't see me. That's just like the opening appetizer, but whatever. Like, Cavuto didn't even believe it. Now, it's true. You can spend $28 on Taco Bell, right? But do you know how much food you'd have to eat? The people in that thread were doing all the math. It's a shit ton of food. If you did eat $28 worth of Taco Bell, I guarantee you, you'd be persona non grata in that office by 3 o'clock. That is a metric shit ton of food. Seriously, no pun intended. But that wasn't even the most entertaining thing about it for me. It was that he said he had a nice lunch at Taco Bell. Who the hell has ever had a nice lunch at Taco Bell? Taco Bell is a last resort, a fast food trough, and for good reason. It's not even Mexican food hilarious. It's true though. Everything is more expensive right now. You have no more dollar menu items. Things are like two bucks and up. But apparently there are these lunch deals at Taco Bell. A bunch of people posted this meal deal that had a, a taco, a crunch wrap thingy, 
chips with cheese sauce in a Mountain Dew for eight bucks. Ooh, health food. <laughs> Another guy posted a meal. He gets once a week, five bucks. Oh, don't eat that crap. And hey, can these midterm elections be over already? My mailbox is full of ads every day. Subsequently, my recycle bin. I got to filter through all that crap. And I can't watch jack shit without having to sit through two minutes of mudslinging. I keep trimming my Twitter feed, man. Politics find their way in it. I don't want to see it. I don't want to hear it. Let's get it over with. I got a friend of mine who's having a birthday on November 6th, two days before the election. We're all getting together to celebrate. I already told him, no politics. Let's just enjoy getting old. We have way too many people running for public office. Important jobs. They've got little to no political experience. That's where we're at now. It's a farce. Saw another interesting piece. Man, this show has no direction. <laughs> it was a piece on an advice column the other day, and it resonated a bit. Let me find it here. All right. My wife has been working from home since the pandemic, and now that the kids have all left for college, she has a lot of time alone at home. She used to go on daily walks with a female neighbor who moved out about six months ago. The new tenant is a recently divorced man who also works from home. The two of them had started a daily walk together, which I didn't have an issue with, but now she started to bring him a plate for dinner once or twice a week and stay while he eats it. What brought matters to a head happened the other day when she brought home a bag of new workout clothes so she'd have something new to wear on their walks. When I mentioned I wasn't comfortable with her going over to his house anymore because I thought I gave the wrong signs to him, she got angry and told me I didn't understand because I wasn't home all day as they were. I've seen nothing specific that they are having an affair, but it's making me wonder. He's a nice guy. He'll wave when he sees me, but is not someone I have a lot in common with nor really want to hang out with. Should I say something more to her? Am I wrong to be concerned? So the advice she gives to this guy is to be straight with her, have an honest conversation with her about the state of their marriage. Give it to me straight, right? Do we have a problem? If so, how can we fix it? Either way, the guy sounds jealous. And he's got that right. Why does she have to go over there to bring him a plate of food? Why not invite him over for dinner for a couple times a week? So your husband's there. Make him feel better. The walking thing? Maybe. Okay, I don't know. But bringing him food and watching him eat? It's called flirting. I don't care how you slice it. Here's what I've found, with a few exceptions, those being women who I've been friends with for decades, right, while I was still married. I can be casual acquaintances with women that I meet, but I cannot be chummy friends with single women that I don't have romantic intentions for, which is where I'm at. I cannot spend an inordinate amount of time with them unless I have a relationship with both her and her husband, not her boyfriend, her and her husband. And even in those cases, I'm usually closer friends with her husband, but never one-on-one -on -one time. I've tried this. Doesn't work. I thought it would. My fault. It didn't. Someone's going to fall into an infatuated state. Someone's going to get end up getting their feelings hurt when they get rejected. Even continue to pine away for them, no matter how many times you said, nothing is going to happen. I've said this before here, I think. The women who I consider myself true friends with, I've known for a really long time. They're more like sisters or true friends who I know love me in the way I love them back, and I cherish those relationships. But that being said, there's a pretty good chance she's banging the neighbor. I mean, they're knocking boots, 
either first thing in the morning after the husband leaves or in the afternoon. Yeah, okay, maybe she's lonely, right? The kids just left for college. She needs company. She'd probably have found another female friend to do this with, but she chose this dude, and now she doesn't want to give it up. And pardon me, but this is why I can never really have a relationship advice column, okay? Because there are two options I would give this guy, two pieces of really bad advice. Either find a chick who's willing to do this kind of shit with you too and see if it makes her jealous. Because if she gets jealous, that's the pot calling the kettle black. Or hire a private investigator. You'd be able to find out and give you proof if she's having an affair or if she's not having one. And you can take it from there. The fact that he's jealous either shows insecurity issues in his marriage or the fact that he sees her doing something that he has either already done or feels like doing. That's what needs to be addressed. And the columnist addressed neither one of those things. Here's what she did say. Instead of policing her actions, which can honestly come off as a little controlling and weird, you need to be vulnerable enough to tell her that you're scared, worried, jealous, and sad. And ask her to talk to you honestly about what, if anything, is going on and if there's something in your marriage that needs to be addressed. If she insists that nothing's going on but you still find that you don't trust her, you might need to ask yourself the same questions. Ugh. Hey, listen, here's what you do not do when you're talking to your wife. Tell her that you're scared or jealous. That's fucking napalm in a relationship. Be a man about it, huh? Go over there and kick the shit out of him. <laughs> yeah. Dear Phil, thanks for your advice in that last letter, man. I'm writing this one while serving 45 months in county. She left me. I'm broke. And my wife is now definitely boinking my neighbor. Oh, man. Okay, one more before I go. I love this shit. Is it so maddening? Hold on. <laughs> okay, recently my ex's daughter reached out to me after 20 years. Her mom and I dated for about three years. When we broke up, we went our separate ways but remained cordial. When her daughter contacted me, I was pleasantly surprised. She's all grown up now. She's now in her 30s. As we conversed, she confessed to me that she's attracted to me. My question is, does it make me a creep to want to entertain her interest? Should I just thank her for her flattery and politely dismiss her flirtation? I'm so conflicted. Oh, dude. You're a fucking creep for even writing the letter. You would entertain her interest? It's your ex's daughter. You knew the girl she was a preteen or a teenager for three years. And how much older are you than her? You belong in jail or on a watch list for even writing a letter. What the fuck? What did she say? How did she answer him? Oh, shit, I lost it. Hold on. No. Oh, okay. No good relationship has ever started with the question, does it make me a creep? You know what you have to do. Spot on. If you have to ask the question, you already know the answer. If you have to ask yourself, is this wrong? You know it's wrong. <laughs> it's like saying, is our relationship in a good place? Yeah, don't ask questions you don't want to hear the answer to. I think every grown man should have a number. I know we're sometimes attracted to younger women, but you have to have a respectable number. 15 or 20 years, and you're in your 50s? It's not a respectable number. And you don't ever date someone who's related to someone that you've been close to, especially intimate with, and especially their daughter. That's basically incest. There's going to be fireworks out the ass, and you're going to deserve every bit of it. 
Okay, that's enough Dear Abby for me. Thanks for listening today. I appreciate you guys hanging in there. Have a wonderful week and weekend. Until next time, my name is Phil, and this has been Inane. Cheers. Thank you.